Welcome to Smart Poker Study, the podcast dedicated to helping you earn more money, study more effectively, and be 1% better every day. I'm your host, Sky Matsuhashi. In last week's episode number 245, I discussed using microstakes aggression in good and poor ways. It's Poker Study time, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode. If it's your first time here, welcome aboard the poker train. And if you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for coming back for some repeat business. I appreciate it. Oh, and of course, thank you very much for telling your friends. So, um, oh, speaking of thanks, I want to thank my two newest Patreon insiders. They are Patrick Keveny and David German. Thank you, Patrick and David, for that support. You just started about two weeks ago or so, and I really do appreciate it because you are part of a growing group of Patreon insiders that are helping me to keep on keeping on. You're showing me uh, through your support that you appreciate the show and you want me to keep on keeping on to infinity and beyond. So if you want to start your support like Patrick and David, just go to patreon.com slash smartpokerstudy. When you get there, you'll find different levels of support with different rewards attached. And as soon as you start your support, depending on your level, you'll have access to the archive of patron-only content. So once again, patreon.com slash smartpokerstudy. Please visit the show notes page at www.smartpokerstudy.com slash pod246. And let me give you a little incentive to visit the show notes page for today. There is a bonus uh, pertaining to one of today's questions. What it is, it's a little statistical tracking sheet that I created to help you uh, to, to utilize Poker Tracker 4 or hold a manager, whichever one you prefer, but to help you utilize that keep to keep track of your statistics as they change over time, as you're studying, learning, becoming a better player. So once again, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod246. All right, let's get to the questions today. I asked for microstakes questions in uh, the prior two episodes, and you delivered, you emailed them into me. One person Twittered it in, and then so I have eight questions for you today. So time's a-wasting. Let's get to it. Gambate. And now for our feature presentation. Question number one is about microstakes bankroll rules. And this one came in via Twitter from Dr. Charon, uh, at Dr. Alex Charon. Here's the question. How do we know when to move up in stakes? I'm going to answer this in three parts here. The first part is the bankroll rules that I recommend. So your bankroll for cash games should be 40 times the level that you play. So if you only have $200 in your bankroll, divide that by 40 gives you 40 $5 buy-ins. So you can comfortably play at 5NL. And that's like a $0.02, cent, $0.05 cent game online with a $5 buy-in. Uh, for MTTs and sit and goes at the micro stakes, I recommend having a 100 buy-in rule. So for that same $200 bankroll, you should be playing $2 tournaments or maybe $1.50 if, if that's what's available. Now, the second part of my answer is taking shots. So once you build up to 20% more than your necessary bankroll, so if you're starting with 200, playing 5NL, once you get up to $240, then you can start taking shots one table or one tournament at a time at that next higher level. So for 5NL cash game players, once your roll reaches $240, you can take shots at 10NL. And for the tournament players, you can start playing $5 tournaments one at a time when you hit $240. 
The goal behind taking shots is to give you more experience playing at the next level, while the majority of your play is still spent at your current level. If you get lucky and earn some money, great, you're going to build your bankroll faster. If you get unlucky and you lose one or two buy-ins, you've still got more than necessary, uh, you know, that 40 buy-in rule, plenty enough to play at your current stake. Now, the third part of Alex's question here is moving up. And so you make the move to the next level once you reach that 40 buy-ins for cash games and 100 buy-ins for tournaments. Prior to that, you're constantly taking shots one cash game table or one tournament at a time to get you experience for that final move to the next level. Well, question two is about Bitcoin deposits and withdrawals. And this one came to us from Richard Lemasters. Here's the question. Do you use Bitcoin when playing online? And if so, can you make a recommendation on how to proceed? Yes, I do use Bitcoin. I've been using it for a while now. It makes it super quick to deposit and to withdraw. No more waiting four or six weeks for your checks. Uh, it just, it's pretty much instantly, right? Uh, and I do it on America's Card Room mainly. That's the site that I play on uh, for the most part. And I, I did a withdrawal maybe about two months ago. And I had the $1,000 that I withdrew. I had it in my account within 20 hours, if I recall correctly. I think... Yeah, I think it took about 20, maybe even just 18 hours for that money, for the Bitcoin to be transferred over. So your first step with Bitcoin is to buy some Bitcoin. And I purchased mine from Coinbase.com. And it's a totally safe and secure site. It lets you select the amount of Bitcoin you want to purchase or the amount of dollars that you want to spend, either one. And you simply make the purchase with a credit card. Uh, some credit cards don't allow you, so that might be a tricky spot for you. But my credit card fortunately allows me to. Once you get your Bitcoin, you'll use your Bitcoin wallet number at the ACR cashier to put money in your ACR account. So if you go through the link within the show notes page, I have a special refer a friend bonus link. So when you buy $100 worth of Bitcoin, you and me will each receive an additional $10 worth. And this is what I did when I first purchased Bitcoin and me and my buddy both got 10 bucks. Alrighty, question three is about playing too passively, and it comes from Joseph Sykes. And he didn't necessarily send in just a question. Instead, he sent two 2NL hand history, so $2 games. In one hand, he cold called a three bet from the small blind with pocket jacks. The other, he called an open raise in the cutoff with ace-queen offsuit. So he seems to be a passive player with some of the strongest hands at 2NL. So here's here's my uh, response to Joseph about those two hands he sent in. So passive play, it's like bingo poker. You're just calling for the chance to hit something strong on the flop. And basically, you're just hoping for luck when you do this. In both of these hands, Joseph could have re-raised with a 4-bet in the small blind with pocket jacks or a 3-bet in the cutoff with the ace-queen offsuit. And for me, both of those would have been the more preferable play. By cold four betting with the pocket jacks in the small blind, you are showing incredible strength and the player in the big blind, the open raiser, and the three better, they all need to hold a very strong hand in order to continue. And you have tons of fold equity uh, on your side when you make this kind of cold four bet from the small blind. And if you get five bet, depending on who made that play, it's probably an easy fold versus their pocket aces or pocket kings. It's a bummer losing that four bet amount, but it's better than calling and just set mining with a hand as strong as pocket jacks. Now, the other hand, 
three betting from the cutoff with ace queen that is so much better than just calling because it's going to put you in a bread and butter situation most of the time after that three bet in the cutoff the button and the blinds are most likely going to call i'm sorry most likely going to fold most of the time and that open raiser in the mp it's most likely going to call or fold versus your three bet so the most common flop situation you're going to face here is you'll be in position heads up as the pre-flop raiser and poker does not get more profitable than this situation so make the three bet in the cutoff with ace queen offsuit as opposed to just calling now question four is about maximizing value from your strong hands and it comes to us from noah heredia and he told me in the email one poker skill i want to improve is maximizing value out of my best hands and here's my answer to Noah. So going for value, it's it's a very important skill. There's two things that I could recommend for you. Number one is to start playing with your bet sizes in order to maximize that value. Maybe you're so used to making one half pot bets like over and over every single street that you miss out on a ton of two thirds or three quarter or even full pot or two times pot value bets. You want to try out different sizes and see what your opponents are willing to pay you off with. Maybe instead of small bets all the time, like that half pot or even less, maybe your bet telegraphs your hand strength. So they're always folding when you have the nuts because you bet so big, but they call your smaller bets because you appear to be weak. I want you to go through your hand histories and see if you're telegraphing your hand strength with your bet size. And the second thing I could recommend for you, Noah, and anyone else is to review every showdown hand where you missed out on river value. This is often where you check behind on the river because you aren't sure where you're at, but then you end up winning, right? Too many times we get to the river with a top pair hand, but we check behind because we're not sure if we are good or if our opponent's just trying to slow play us. You want to filter for one, the hand, and checked the river. So start reviewing these hands from the start, you know, from pre-flop, go through the flop turn and the river and try to put your opponent on a pre-flop range of hands, then narrow that range through the streets, and try to de determine if you would have value bet that river if they would have called, and calculate how much you could have earned, right? If you could have bet half pot on, the, on that river, which would have been 12 big blinds, for example, you just missed out on 12 big blinds profit. All right, question five is about resuming online play, and this one comes to us from Brad S. Here's his question. It seems like a lot of what you promote in your book involves playing online. So should that be my next move? Start playing online again? And is that okay to do? I saw that you are in California also, and I live in the Los Angeles area. So I assume we can play online without an issue? That's a great question, Brad. And first off, my answer right here, it is not legal advice. This is how I do things. So since Black Friday, I've never had an issue playing online. The only real concern I have is that the sites are unregulated, like America's Card Room or Carbon Poker, right? Because they're unregulated, they can pack up and leave at any time, and they just take my bankroll with them. Now, that's why I only play on sites that have been established and around for a long time, like America's Card Room and Carbon Poker, like I mentioned. But also, I would end up playing on Ignition Poker at some point, just haven't gotten to it yet. But all these other ones that seem to pop up occasionally, I would rather they stick around for quite a while before I risk any money on those sites. But even if they've been around for a while, 
there's always a risk that they'll just up and leave. So I keep a minimum bankroll on each. Um, and then, of course, if you want to try ACR, that's the one I would recommend. And you just want to start out the $5 tables. I don't recommend starting out at 2NL. $5 tables is perfect. So if you follow that 40x bankroll rule, that means that you only need $200 on the site. And maximum on ACR, I only ever keep that 40x at most. Oftentimes, I'll withdraw via Bitcoin. It'll take me down to around about 30 buy-ins, but I'm pretty comfortable. I think my skills are good enough and I can survive downswings by having a 30 buy-in bankroll right there. So uh, at the 5NL tables on ACR, though, there are plenty of fish who don't take it seriously and they splash around a lot, like you had mentioned in your email, which I didn't say here for the audience. But you can work on all your live poker skills for much cheaper when you play online. That's one of the great benefits about the micro stakes. You can practice your three bets, your C bets, your bluff bets, your donk bets, your river check raising all in as a bluff all that kind of stuff, you can practice it so much cheaper. As long as you do it logically, right? You don't want to bluff, bluff, bluff like mad and become a super loose, aggressive 75-50 kind of player. You don't want to do that. But if you find a good spot to use that aggression, when it might cost you $200 live, it could cost you only $2 online. And if anybody's thinking about playing online, you can use my affiliate link and get 27% rake back at America's Card Room. All you have to do is use offer code SPSPOD when you create your account. And just go to smartpokerstudy.com slash americas-cardroom. After the break, I'll hit you with questions 6 through 8. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash smartpokerstudy. I love learning from audiobooks, especially when I already have the physical books. Um, I've read it. I've taken notes in my notebook. I've underlined and highlighted passages. Now I want to refresh myself. Sometimes I just want to do it while I'm on my daily walk with my dogs. You know, audiobooks are perfect for trying to refresh. Well, they're perfect for fictional books, 100%. But when it comes to those nonfiction books, things self-improvement, poker type books, they're really good for reinforcing the ideas that you already learned after your first reading. So when you start your Audible trial, I recommend that you get preflop online poker first because it's $19.95 on Audible. And then you can get How to Study Poker Volume 1. Um, you can purchase that one so it's much cheaper. Listen to How to Study Poker Volume 1 first and then listen to preflop online poker. Once again, start your free trial and get your free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash smartpokerstudy. And just a few shout-outs here. Mark Batts purchased Poker Tracker 4 through my affiliate link. And because he did so, I sent him my smart HUD for Poker Tracker 4 in appreciation. He just went to smartpokerstudy.com slash pokertracker4, selected the version that he wanted, the one that most suited the types of games that he plays. He made the purchase and then forwarded me his uh, confirmation purchase confirmation email. Thank you very much, Mark. And with that smart HUD, of course, Jonte Sutton already owned Poker Tracker 4, so he bought the smart HUD directly from me. He went to smartpokerstudy.com slash smart HUD, saw the screenshots there, saw the video, saw what the HUD was all about, and decided that he wanted the best HUD in the business. So thank you very much, Jonte. And lastly, Brian Richardson purchased both of my books, How to Study Poker Volume 1 and Volume 2, in PDF format. So if you want the Kindle, you gotta go to Amazon. 
or of course the paperback as well. But if you want a, a PDF version to read directly on your computer, just go to the show notes page for today and you'll find a link, the same link that Brian used to purchase the PDF version. Alrighty, back to class, poker people. Here's question number six. It's about a transition to No Limit Hold'em online play. And this question comes from Chris Noel. Here's what he said. I'm a small stakes limit hold'em player. 50 cent, $1 online, $4, $8 live. And I want to transition to No Limit Hold'em. I have modest goals. Play with an edge in $1, $3 live and occasionally play in good 2-5 games, and to be profitable in online micro stakes. My first forays have shown me I have a lot of learning to do. How should I prioritize the skills I need to be successful? Ranges, bluffing, or something else? So, great question, Chris. Now, um, there's so much that I can dive into here, but I'm going to give you my top three recommendations to begin improving your online micro stakes skills, which will translate into improved live no limit hold'em skills so here is recommendation number one work on your pre-flop ranges your pre-flop hand selections they set you up for either poker success or poker failure with every hand you play just think about it there is a huge difference between being the open raiser on the button with queen nine suited and being the over caller in the small blind with queen nine suited right you need to work on understanding how your pre-flop hand ranges help to determine your potential post-flop profitability. So I recommend checking out podcast episodes 90, 91, and 94 to help you with this. And there are links for those in the show notes page. Recommendation number two is to become a bread and butter player. The bread and butter situation is the most profitable one to be in. Now, this means that you are in position on the flop as the pre-flop raiser against one or two other players. So in order to be a bread and butter player, you have to actively search for and put yourself in bread and butter situations as much as possible. Kind of like in that prior question I answered about um, uh, three betting in the in the cutoff with ace queen as opposed to calling. Three betting right there would have put him in a bread and butter situation. So being a bread and butter player means that you're open raising, you're raising over limper, limpers, you're making three bets, you're making three bet squeezes every time that it is positive EV to do so. And just like I said in that prior question from Joseph I just mentioned, calling is just passive poker play, right? But raising gives you fold equity and it also puts you in these bread and butter situations more often. Now recommendation number three is to purchase, study, and use the strategies in my book Preflop Online Poker. This book teaches you everything you need to know about pre-flop poker, and it gives you tons of ways to practice the various strategies that I teach. And of course, beyond these three, you can begin working on other pre-flop strategies, you know, three betting and playing out of the blinds, or you can move on to post-flop things like c-betting, check raising, um, board textures, post-flop bet sizing. There's so much that you can study post-flop, but those are my three recommendations right there. And they all revolve, for beginning players, they all revolve around pre-flop play because like I said at the beginning, that sets you up for post-flop success. All right, question seven is about hand reading. This one comes from Drew Sanders. Here's his question. Is hand reading necessary at the micro stakes? So my answer is, I'm a big proponent of hand reading, right? But my answer is at the micro stakes, I don't think it's necessary, 
but I do believe it's incredibly helpful. And it's not necessary because at the micro stakes, a lot of your opponents play their hands kind of face up, right? If you're up against a passive player, maybe their stats are like 40 slash 10 or 25 slash 4, or just basically they do more calling than raising, right? They will tell you that they have a very strong hand when they're betting and raising post flop. Now, tight aggressive players, they tell you they like their hand when they're calling your bets and calling your raises post flop or doing a lot of big bets and raises themselves. And those loose aggressive players, they try to save money with their bluffs, but they start to bet slightly larger when they have a nice made hand like two pair or better. So if you pay attention to bet sizing, not always, but quite often you'll get a good idea of the strength of your opponent's hand. But I do believe that hand reading is a skill that you should start working on as soon as possible, even if you're a 2NL player. You're listening to this podcast right now because you want to improve your game. And that tells me that you want to earn enough money to move up in stakes so that you can make even more money. And the higher you go, the more logical and reasoned your decisions need to be in order to earn your opponent's chips. Hand reading allows you to use your logic, the type of player that you're up against, and how they enter the pot to put them on a pre-flop range of hands. Now, Based on their actions as the streets progress, flop, turn, and river, we can narrow their range to help us make sense of their logical holdings. This is what allows us to make better decisions than somebody who is just considering their own two hole cards and the board at the time. So even if you're a microstakes player, I recommend that you start your own daily hand reading practice, kind of like I showed you in my 66 days of hand reading series of videos on YouTube, and you can find a link into the show notes for that. Alrighty, question eight. The final question is about understanding my statistics or your statistics. This question comes for us to us from Tessa Carter. Here's the question. Thanks again for sending me the smart HUD after I purchased Poker Tracker 4 through you. But now I have a problem. I don't know how I don't know how to make heads or tails of the stats I'm collecting. I have 3,000 hands and my VPIP is 35, PFR is 12. 3-bet is 2%, and C-bet flop is at 60%, and my C-bet turn is at 22%. There are so many other stats as well that I wish I understood. How do I turn the stats into actions at the table? All right, so I'm going to have two different parts to my answer here, Tessa. Uh, First, I'll discuss how you can take action based on these exact numbers that you gave me. Next, the second thing I'll do is I'll cover what you can do to learn more about the statistics and Poker Tracker 4 and how to interpret them. So first off, Tessa, your own statistics that you gave me in the email. With your VPIP at 35 and PFR at 12, this tells me that you're a pretty loose and passive player. You do more calling pre-flop than you do raising, and this probably translates into your post-flop game as well. Although with a PFR at 12%, that is getting to be on the aggressive side. Anything over 15 starts to become aggressive. So you're getting there. But that is such a big gap between 35 and 12 that you're doing tons of calling, right? Now, you did not give me your fold to CBET stats. But my guess is that they're probably pretty low on the flop in the turn, maybe something like between 35 and 50% on both streets. And this is just because you're passive in general. I doubt you're folding all that much. But thinking about what you could do pre-flop, stop limping at all and reduce your calling, especially out of the blinds. With your VPIP at 35%, that means you're voluntarily playing 
uh, 35% of hands on average. Now, that's just way too many to make profitable. So like I said in my answer to Chris about microstake skills to build, start working on your preflop hand selection to get you down to a VPIP at less than 20%. Next, you want to increase your 3-betting percentage. And to get you started doing this, you want to look for 3-betting opportunities for value and as a bluff, but do it from the cutoff and the button first, from those best positions. Once you get comfortable with 3-betting out of these positions, and maybe you get your percentage up to somewhere around 4 to 5%, then you can start doing more 3-bet bluffing versus steals when you are in the blinds. Lastly, your C-bet on the flop was 60% and then turn was at 22%. Now, I don't know what types of hands you're C-betting on the flop, but that percentage itself, it is a good percentage, right? That means you're including a lot of value as well as a lot of bluffs and maybe like semi-bluffs with draws and stuff in your flop C-bets. But that 22% on the turn means you are a total turn honest player. And this means that when you C-bet the turn, they know you have something very good. So because of this, your opponents can call you every single time on the flop. And as soon as you check the turn, they can fire a bet because they know you don't have anything good or else you would have double barreled. Now, the second part of my answer to you, Tessa, is about uh, improving your statistics understanding. Now, to improve your statistical understanding, I want you to go to the show notes page and download the statistical tracker that I've posted there. This tracker has all of the most important and most useful statistics on it. At the end of every week of play, or after every 2,000 hands, fill out all the statistics on the tracker. You can utilize the statistics menu within the configure menu at the top of Poker Tracker 4. That's going to teach you all the definitions and the formulas for each statistic. And I have a screenshot in the show notes of where you can find that. You can also use these statistics videos um, uh, on the Leak Tracker tab. Each of these videos gives you important information to help you take action on high or low statistics as it compares to the average winning player statistics. As you track your statistics every week, look for fluctuations in the numbers. Maybe this past week, you really worked on your preflop calling hands in order to get your VPIP down from 35%. So maybe your studies resulted in a drop from 35 to 28%. So this shows that you've made some progress, but not enough to get you down to 20%. So now you can go through your hands that you called this past week and uh, review those hands to see where you need to make more adjustments. I'm sure there would be plenty of hands where you're still calling that you shouldn't. Hands like Jack-8 suited, Ace-7 offsuit, and maybe like Queen-3 suited. Challenge! Here's my challenge to you for this episode. I didn't give you actions to take exactly, but choose one of the questions that I answered, the one that most pertains to you, the question that you wish you would have asked me, and then take my answer and run with it. Figure out what you can do on or off the felt to improve your game in relation to my answer. Now it's your time to shine. Here are some inspiring words from Lieutenant Ratchek in Starship Troopers. This is for you new people. I only have one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. If you don't do your job, I'll shoot you. Do you get me? We get you, sir! This episode isn't complete until you head to the show notes page at www.smartpokerstudy.com slash pod246. Mm, 
Thank you so much for listening today. Make sure you take action with at least one of the answers I gave to the eight questions today. And if you have a microstakes question that I didn't answer, send me an email, sky at smartpokerstudy.com. Alrighty, poker people. In the next episode, number 247, I'm going to dive into the most recommended study strategies for microstakes players. Word of mouth is the best advertising, so thank you very much for sharing the show with other poker people. Your sharing and caring is what helps us grow. Until next time, study smart, play much, and make your next session the best one yet.